Well, good morning. Good morning. It is a delight um, to Teresa, my wife, who's amongst you somewhere, um, <laughs> for us to be with you to worship at this great service with many things happening, many things that are so missionally oriented, a baptism, confirmations, receptions, those times in particular when we ask God to send his spirit, that we might be empowered to do the things that in our hearts we yearn to do, but without God's power, we're absolutely unable to do. And so it's another time as a church when we come together to declare our total dependency on God and then to celebrate his goodness as he pours out his spirit so freely upon us. And it is especially a joy to do it here at Grace Anglican. Uh, and the last time I was here, there weren't quite so many of you. And so this is a, a blessing with issues. And so just know that we are praying just about the discernment and the wisdom that you need to know what do we do? How do we provide more space for the people who God is bringing into your midst? Um, it is no wonder that with Jeremiah and Rachel and their family and then all of the families and, and households that gathered together that God is doing this thing among you. I certainly appreciate Jeremiah's ministry. I'm blessed by him as a brother in Christ and you need to know that he is esteemed by many in our diocese. And I know we've prayed, but I always have a particular prayer that I'll pray before we turn to the word of God Grant, Lord God, that my message and my speech might not be in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of your spirit and of your power, that our faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin with a question. Have you ever been distant from God? Have you ever felt distant from God? Felt as if you're just removed, or that he's removed, that he's gone somewhere else. You, you just wonder where he is. A friend of mine years ago uh, responded to that saying, well, if you don't feel close, close to God, guess who moved? <laughs> and while that may be true, that it's, it's we who move, sometimes when God is nearer than he could ever be to us, we still can feel that he's distant. It's a peculiar spiritual phenomenon. So how do you get back? How do you reconnect? How do you have a sense of his presence with you? And this morning, I'd like for us to look at this story from Luke. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Perhaps a familiar story of the healing of the 10 lepers. Because in it is a truth hidden in plain view for how to reconnect with God. Now, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, Luke tells us. In fact, earlier in Luke's gospel account, he's let us know that Jesus has now set his face for Jerusalem, which means simply he is not going to be deterred from the mission that's been entrusted to him to climb the arms of the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for us. And on the way... He's met by 10 lepers. Now the word in Hebrew for leper, lepra is a word that 
that actually refers to a, a variety of skin diseases, leprosy being one of them, Hansen's disease, but also other skin diseases. And what these lepers do is they obey the law because in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, there's a prescription for how lepers are to conduct themselves. First, they're to live outside of the camp, which means that if you have any of these various skin diseases, you're no longer allowed to be in the community of God. You have to remove yourself. Second, you have to wear torn clothes as a symbol of your own brokenness. You have to have your hair grow shaggy. And in fact, when you do find yourself near people, you have to cover your, op- you have to cover your upper lip and shout out, unclean, unclean. Sounds a bit like junior high, doesn't it? At least that was my experience in junior high. But that's what these ten lepers were doing. Faithfully. As the law required. And as from a distance they see Jesus, they call out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now notice this about these ten lepers. They are keenly respectful of Jesus. They honor Jesus. More than likely, they had heard as Jesus was in Galilee and then was journeying down toward Jerusalem, passing through the region from Galilee to, through Samaria to eventually get around the Jordan River to come back up to Jerusalem. They must have heard, heard the stories of the wonder worker, the great teacher. And so when they realize who he is, they seize the moment. Teacher, have mercy on us. And Jesus responds. If you have the scriptures, you see it in verse 14. Jesus commands them, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, when Jesus said that, he wasn't just saying, just go have a parade in front of the priests. It was a very specific part of the law of Moses. That those who had these diseases that were covered by the word leprosy, who had been separated from the people of God, who were deemed ceremonially unclean, could not worship, could not come among the people of God, could not go to temple, could not offer sacrifices, that they had to present themselves once healed to the priests who would examine them and then certify that they were clean and then allow them to come back into the community and actually allow them to worship. And so Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priests. But notice what Jesus doesn't do, as he did sometimes with other lepers. He doesn't reach out his hand. He doesn't touch the lepers. He actually, from a distance, simply tells them, go, show yourselves to the priests. You would think that at that point, Luke would say, and then the ten lepers said to him, but you haven't done anything. We still are sick, but they don't. It's truly remarkable. This, this step to be taken by former lepers after their healing so they could be restored to Israel, to the community, they took in verse, the second half of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. Fascinating. They obeyed Jesus. They started the journey to the priests as lepers. And on the way, they were cleansed. They obeyed his command. They went at his word without any visible evidence of being healed. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
It says they all were healed. And they just pause for a second. All ten had to have noticed. You don't have skin lesions. You don't have oozing sores. You don't have disruption of all mucous membranes. You, you don't have numbness. You don't have a disease that actually grotesquely affects your eyesight, which all of those diseases under the banner of leprosy did. You don't have that, then not have that, and not notice. <laughs> it's not a matter of, where's my oozing sores? <laughs> when did that stop? No, they all noticed. All ten noticed. But in verse 15, we read this. One of them. One of them noticed his healing and did something different from the other nine. In fact, he didn't just do one thing different. He did four things different. First, he went back to Jesus. In other words, at that moment with what happened to him and what was going on inside of him, as a result, he directed his life to Jesus. It was a directed step he took. Secondly, he praised God with a loud voice. And the intent in the text is he kept at it, almost such that those around him would have started getting a little nervous. Like, pipe down, it's okay, yeah, we got healed too. But he keeps going on the way. In other words, it was not just directed, it now was expressed. He wasn't just keeping it in like, mm, isn't this great, I'm healed. He expressed it. And then thirdly, once he gets to Jesus, he throws himself at his feet and thanks him. He was humble. And he thanked him. Now, if you have that picture in your mind of what Luke is describing, I want you to consider this story a bit from Jesus' point of view. You see, Jesus, in verse 17... He sees one man come back. But Jesus knows there were ten lepers. Jesus sent ten to the priest. Jesus saw ten go at his command. Ten of them were cleansed of the disease. However, only one returned to give praise to God and to thank him. And Luke includes this. And he was a Samaritan meaning not exactly everybody's best friend. He was a Samaritan among those who were detested by the Jews. You have to pause and wonder. For none of the Jews who were going back, they go back to the priest, show themselves, they'd be deemed cleansed, and they could rejoin the fellowship. But for the Samaritan, if he were to go to the priest, go to the temple, if that's where the cleansing was to be offered, he wouldn't even have been allowed to get past a certain gate. There would be no rejoining of the family of God. He was never welcomed in the family of God. And he's the one who came back. And so in verse 19, we see Jesus respond to him. And Jesus says, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole, or your faith has saved you. So what are, what are we, as we sit here today, what are we to learn from this remarkable story? Well, I want you to look at it from a little bit different way. What, what was going on? Well, there was a community of people. 
And they were a people in need. And for some way, in some way, they saw hope on the horizon. And they saw it in the person of Jesus. They trusted him with their lives. When he said, go do this, they did it. They acted on his word. And every one of them had a significant reason to be grateful to God. And the majority never stop to express gratitude to God. And if that that I just described sounds familiar, it ought to. Because unfortunately, it sounds like us all too often. Fitz Allison, um, my mentor bishop years ago, looking at this story, he used to sum it up this way. I think this story shows that every one of us is nine-tenths ungrateful <laughs> and only about a tenth grateful. You know, as a people, as a people, we are given so much, so much given by God. We live in a security unlike most any other nation in the world. We have opportunity, we have health care, we have friendships, we have conveniences, we have freedom, we have participatory government. But most often, more often than not, we take it all for granted. We just presume it's going to be there tomorrow. We take it for granted, or actually, we complain about it. So many of the things that we are given. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm, I'm not saying everything is perfect. We should be totally grateful because everything isn't, is it? There still are inequities. There still is great injustice. There still are hardships and heartaches. There still is animosity. But even in the midst of that, there's so much that we've been given. Just because we have stuff, because we have much, doesn't guarantee that we're grateful for any of it. Any more than people not having it aren't grateful for what they do have. We take our prosperity, whether it's economic, relational, community-wide, we tend to take it for granted. What others would die for, we often gripe about. Now, I want us to pause and, and look deeply at what's happening between this healed leper who went back to Jesus and Jesus. Because there are two things that, as I said earlier, are hidden right in plain view. You see, I started this message by saying, have you ever felt distant from God? Have you ever, ever wondered where he went? That when you pray, the heavens seem to turn to brass and your prayer just bounces back down. You, you just don't have a sense of connection. Have you ever considered the extraordinary power of gratitude? Do you realize what gratitude does? It reconnects. It takes you back. The man went back to Jesus. Gratitude does that. Remember, it's not enough just to be grateful, just to stand there. I am healed. This is great. I am so grateful that I am healed. No, that's not enough. Remember, it was directed. He went back and directed it somewhere. And he took it to Jesus. And then it's not just directed, it's expressed. 
He said it. And in order to truly be grateful, any one of us, to any other person, it requires humility. Because in that act of expressing gratitude, what we are doing, no matter what the person has done for us, given to us, shown us, displayed, we're saying that until you did that, I didn't have that. I was empty. And you came and gave to me. That's humility. And we say it when we say thank you for what you've done or how you've been or what you've given. It takes humility to acknowledge the gift given and the grace received. You see, gratitude takes you back. It always takes you back. And see, sometimes we can feel extraordinarily distant. And gratitude is God's gift to us to bring us back. We see it in our daily life. Someone gives you a gift, does you a favor. When we're grateful, we can go to them. We can write them a letter, an email. We can send them a text. We can go visit them to express our gratitude. But what has just happened? Gratitude just took you back to that person. It reconnects. There is a reconnecting power that God has infused in our capacity to express gratitude. Now I finally understand why my mom and dad made me write thank you notes to my aunts and uncles at Christmas. He just wanted me not just to be grateful, but to keep connected to the wider family. You see, you don't even have to be distant or feel distant from God. You can actually feel close. Gratitude still takes you back takes you back to the very presence of God. It keeps us connected. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 writes this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, at every time, at every place, in every day, were we to pause, we would be able to give thanks if we would but pause and be intentional and survey what it is that we have been entrusted with what God has in fact done for us. Why? Because gratitude takes you back. There's a connecting power in it. But the opposite is true as well, right? Because when we're not grateful, do you realize what that does? That drives a wedge. That separates. That creates distance. Paul in the first chapter of Romans is describing to the Jews and to the Gentiles their relationship, the true relationship they have with God. For the Jew, it's being explained in terms of the law. You haven't kept it. You have it, but you haven't kept it. So you're out of relationship with God. And to the Gentile, he says, you may not have the law, but you have the revealed nature of God in his creation, his invisible nature. You, you can just look at the stars in the sky, he's intimating, and you would know that there's God. But then look what he says in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you realize what Paul is describing here? 
He's saying that when you know God, but you do not thank God, you find yourself on a downward spiral of ever-increasing disconnection from God. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. And so they relinquish the connecting power of gratitude and instead begin to spiral further and further away. You realize it's always been that way. In the book of Deuteronomy, as we see the charge that Moses gives to the whole nation as they're about to go under the leadership of Joshua into the promised land, he reminds them of all the things God has done on this Exodus journey, the places where he provided for them, protected them, gave them everything they needed, and then gave them the law to obey. But then he gives them a solemn warning in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let me read a portion of it to you. Deuteronomy 8. Beware lest you say in your heart, meaning as you enter into this land, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Do you realize that's our tendency? When we fail to thank God for the things we have, we tend to congratulate ourselves we tend to think we're the source of it, that we're so clever, that we came up with the big idea, that we did all the work, that we made this happen. And we forget whose hand directed it all. And so Moses gives the solemn warning, be careful that as you enter this land of plenty, as you go in the way that I'm giving you, be careful that you not forget me and fail to thank me. Do you realize that embedded in the life of Israel was a ceremony, the Seder, by which they would recall, remember, and thank God for his deliverance from the slavery under the bondage of the Pharaoh? Remember. Because memory is the watershed for thanksgiving. To remember. No, gratitude takes you back. And when we're ungrateful, we drift away. One other thing. One other thing about the leper's gratitude. Jesus turns to the leper who's come back and fallen down before him. And he says, rise, go your way. Your faith has saved you. In the ESV version, it says, has made you well. But the word that Jesus uses there is a word that has as its root the word sozo. And that word in Greek literally means to be made whole, to be saved. In fact, earlier in the story, the story goes that as the lepers realized that they were healed, the word there is a word that is ekatharsisathan, which means they were cleansed. Very different word. It just says that now they were cleansed of this disease and they would be ceremonially clean. And that was for all ten. But now this one leper who goes back and reconnects with Jesus, do you see it? He gets more. All ten were cleansed. 
All ten were healed of the disease. One is made whole. One is saved. One came back to the person, Jesus. Because he wanted to connect. You see, gratitude always takes you back. And when you go back to Jesus, he always has more for you. I love the way that Paul puts that idea in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work in, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Do you hear the vastness of what Jesus has that he wants to give to us? Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. In other words, beyond our wildest imagination, he has things for us. But so often in our ingratitude or in our self-satisfaction or self-preoccupation, we drift further and further away. That downward spiral of though they knew God, they did not honor him or thank him. And further and further they went. But gratitude, gratitude expressed, gratitude humbly offered, gratitude directed to God, that always takes you back, back to Jesus. And when you go back to him, there's always more. How do you do this? Don't overcomplicate it. As you start your day, if you can't think of anything to thank him for, just take a breath. Start there. Thank you for the breath you've given me. Then feel the blood surging in your veins. Thank you. Because you're now naming things that you've never done for yourself. Then look out the window and see the sun begin to rise and see nature scurry about and thank you. And soon, what can start so often as a trickle can move into a mighty river, swelling with gratitude. And we find ourselves reconnecting morning, noon, and night. When the man came and knelt before Jesus and said thanks, the word used there is Eucharista, like the word we use for the Holy Eucharist. It means thanksgiving. It's used 38 times in the New Testament. In all but one, it's used of thanksgiving to God. This is the only place it's ever used in thanksgiving to Jesus. And he came back and knelt before him. Gratitude reconnecting him with Jesus. And he thanked him. And he was given more. Jesus delights to pour out into our lives abundant riches, grace, the fruit of his spirit. But he bids us come. And if you struggle to know how to come, just start with gratitude because gratitude will always take you back.
Amen.